Welcome to the Back to Blue podcast. I am Naka Kondo, the lead editor of Back to Blue, an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nippon Foundation on Ocean Health. The Nippon Foundation, which is the largest nonprofit foundation in Japan, and Nekton, a UK-based marine science and conservation institute, have recently announced a new and I believe the largest program in history. To discover life in the oceans, with the ambitious target of finding at least a hundred thousand new marine species in its first decade. Today, I'm excited to welcome Oliver Steeds, Ocean Census Director and Chief Executive of Nekton, to our podcast. Welcome, Oliver. We just start with sharing a bit of historical context of where and how Ocean Census came to life. In many ways, Ocean Census is a continuation of some of the great work which has been going on for many years. The Census of Marine Life, and going back even further to the Challenger expeditions in the 1870s. But I suppose you can go even further back to the origins of life on Earth. 4.4 billion years when the Earth evolved, and we think life began on Earth maybe about four billion years, and there's been life in the ocean for three times as long as on land. But in terms of where we are now, there's obviously great urgency to discover what lives in our oceans, so that we can use that information, that data, to help inform our sustainable management governance, and and also to start to unlock a deeper understanding of what ocean life is all about. Because ocean life makes all life on Earth possible. It, it、uh, helps produce our oxygen. It regulates our climate. Regulates our chemistry. Provides food for billions of people. And of course, with the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis, we need to know what is in the ocean. We need to know what the ocean life, in particular, does for us. At the moment, we have a massive gap in our knowledge and understanding of ocean life. We think we've discovered about ten percent of life that lives in the ocean, which is about two hundred forty thousand species. They're round about two million, two point two million species in the ocean. We think. But that estimation is based on current scientific bias, so we can't be 100% sure what really lives there. But we do know that now, more than ever, we need to know what's there so we can understand it and use that information to transform our knowledge of life on Earth. Most simply, which, if we achieve that, it will sustain and benefit all life on Earth. That is fascinating. In terms of the technology at our disposal, compared to say previous decades, I'd be interested to get a sense from you about what kind of capabilities we've got, both for data collection and digitization analysis. I understand it's going to be open access or cloud-based. What are the technological advantages we have today compared to ten, twenty years ago? Well, where we are at the moment is that we discover about two thousand or so marine species, which is about the same as we did back in the eighteen forties Victorian times. So we've kind of flatlined ever since then, and there are, of course, new technologies available to us to be able to increase our speed and scale of discovery of ocean life. And they're in two major sort of areas, I suppose. One is the ability to go to sea, and the subsea technologies available to us to then discover what lives in the sea, and then how we then work with those specimens to discover what they are and their importance for us. And in particular, the technology advancements which we're looking at, which we'll be harnessing with ocean sensors, are around imaging, high-resolution imaging. Both under the water and in laboratories, and that includes micro CT, being able to get into the morphology of of animals as well. 
but also the sequencing technologies which are available to us as well. Now, we are looking at on a mitochondrial DNA level, so we're sequencing up to that point, but working with partners like the Sanger Wellcome Institute to be able to do high-reference genome sequencing as well. So you combine that with machine learning. There's obviously great excitement around generative AI at the moment as well. So how we start to utilize that in combination with high-resolution imaging and DNA sequencing. In combination, we believe that will create a new approach to identifying and describing species, taxonomy, that we call cyber taxonomy. So it's a combination of utilizing those technologies which enable us to scale up the speed, uh, well, to scale up the speed of discovery and the scale in which we can operate. At Back to Blue, we have also had a lot of interest in understanding what is in the ocean, as in the risks around deep sea mining, opportunities around medical applications, and implications of what is in the oceans. So in terms of your program, Ocean Census, where do we see the right sort of balance here in terms of understanding nature and appreciating what is happening and how to protect it? I think through history, we've seen the twin swords of exploration and exploitation. Those two things go together. When someone discovers something new, chances are people are going to want to try and exploit it. So we need to be very mindful and careful of that, of course, with Ocean Census. And our role at Ocean Census is to bring together a network of scientists from around the world to discover what is in the ocean. And in part, also, we want people to be inspired by the ocean, right? to be inspired by the wonder and the abundance and the extraordinary animals and life which exists in our ocean. Because if people start to see things in a different light, hopefully uh, they'll fall in love with the ocean and they'll want to protect it. One of the challenges, of course, which society has is how do we harness the resources on our planet in a sustainable manner that can drive our progress? And that is something which we are very mindful of doing. The data that we generate from the discovery of ocean life through ocean centers will be made open access and available to all. We're very keen that people understand that we are not an advocacy organization. We are advocates for ocean life, of course. But when it comes to the onward utilization of these resources, we are a scientific community of people whose role it is is to discover what's there and provide that data to the decision makers so they can best utilize that information to inform a sustainable governance and sustainable management of those resources. In terms of the actual process of what we do when it comes to, for example, species collection, we're only taking a single or perhaps a couple of specimens of organisms in the ocean when we are sampling. So it's not as if we're going in there at scale, trying to collect a huge number of species. We're just looking to zero in and understand and capture one or two of these specimens. So from our side, obviously, it's limited the impact, the effect which we are having. Also, the day, all data that we generate is within territorial waters is owned, invested by those nations. And it's not for us as the scientific community to be able to tell those nations what they need to do with their resources. We're here as scientific community to be able to say, well, this is what you've got. This is our recommendations. If one was to go and harvest this large area of fish, for example, then that would have XYZ impact and implications, which could of course, be very negative to the sustainable management and governance of the ocean, their fisheries, the food webs, and all the other ecosystem services that ocean life can provide them. But again, it's not for us to tell ocean nations how to utilize their resources. In the high seas, of course, it is the great collective commons and the exciting developments around the high seas treaty are very much welcome. And we will work within those structures, of course, as well. We're not in any of those areas 
bioprospecting or sort of driving those outcomes. Rather, it's a scientific endeavor to understand what's there. In the high seas, it is the great collective commons. So the data that we generate is for the benefit of humanity. And our role is to discover what's there so it can advance and sustain humanity. You're working with many different partners, and there is also mention of citizen science. Generally, this is also something we're very interested in at Back to Blue, the community of actors in the space, and especially the creation of connections between communities that may not interact as often or as effectively as they could with policy and science communities. So I wonder if you could comment on the strategy or give us a sense of who is involved in the project, some of those cross-disciplinary engagements that you rely on, and why that is important or useful. Ocean Census is a network of partners all coming together towards this collective purpose of trying to discover ocean life at scale and speed. And that takes all types of partners. Science, of course, at the helm and at the heart of much of it, particularly taxonomists, But there's also technology organizations, there's media organizations helping to tell the story. There's governments who can provide access or leadership or grants or infrastructure as well, whether it be their vessel fleets or their scientists in different institutes to be able to participate. But also civil society. We can all play a role in the discovery and the protection of ocean life. And what we're trying to do is trying to harness a network of partners from around the world who share this common purpose. And we believe that there are partners in all realms of life and all realms of, of enterprise that can contribute. Citizen science is a particularly interesting one for us because of the scale of the value and the importance of it. We've seen how valuable citizen scientists can be in monitoring insect populations on land, for example, and how that's transformed our understanding of decline of some insect populations and, and some bees in, in different countries and all sorts of other things. So obviously, when it comes to the ocean, it's a bit more tricky because of operating the salty realms. But that does not mean that it's impossible. And I think one of our key partnerships in that area is with Paddy Aware Foundation. They have a network of millions of divers around the world. They want to come on board and to be able to harness their expertise, to be able to contribute to the program. And we're starting to develop what that will look like. And in part, that will be the ability of those divers to gather image data of ocean life and for us to create automated systems and then for us as ocean sensors to create systems that automate the analysis and the and identification of those species that are found. So collectively, we can start to build up a picture of what's living in our sea. When it comes to taking specific samples and specimens, that is also possible for citizen scientists. There are some amazing taxonomists who are not in the scientific community, but are citizen scientists who are already contributing to the discovery of ocean life. There's one particular chap I've heard about recently in Belgium who is a great expert on nematodes for example. But also I think there's the other aspect of it, which is how we join up the scientific community with the citizen science community, where the citizen science community can contribute and do some of the heavy lifting that the scientists can't. And there are great platforms where we've seen that to be possible in other areas of science, such as with Zooniverse, which is a platform of all sorts of different scientific programs where they collectively pool citizen scientists to do a range of different activities, which will then join up with the scientific community. That's what we need to dig into. We need to work out how we can join those dots up in an effective manner that it becomes a program that all sorts of people in different walks of life can get involved in. At Back to Blue, we are doing a lot of work on ocean pollution and the impact of climate change on ocean health. Do you think that the work that Ocean Census is doing will help improve understanding of the ongoing toll of pollution 
and climate change on the ocean in terms of what is actually happening to ocean species right now? Absolutely. I think ocean sensors will contribute significantly in understanding how ocean life is being affected by the climate crisis and by different human stresses, such as pollution. Obviously, we're seeing that in areas where there are massive dead zones. You look at the Bay of Bengal, for example, or you look at areas which are heating up and how that transforms where ocean life can exist. One of the immediate threats to ocean life from the climate crisis is the warming ocean. The majority of anthropogenic heat is going to the ocean, 93, whatever percent it is, going into the ocean. We know most likely we are going to be hitting that 1.5 degree warming temperature. But that's just an average. What that means is that there are extremes which we're seeing in other parts. We've seen reports of increased temperatures of over 10 degrees on the east coast of the United States already this year. And we know that the Indian Ocean, for example, is warming three times faster than the Pacific Ocean. The organisms most affected by that are those in the shallow waters. We know the impact at 1.5 degree on average would have to coral reefs, which would be absolutely devastating. Two degrees, even worse. So there is an urgency to discover species before they are lost. And one of the biggest drivers of that is the heat that's going into the ocean, combined with the twin evil brother, if you like, of acidification. Those two things, particularly on coral and other aspects of ocean life, are absolutely devastating. So one of our focuses is to be able to respond to those urgent threats and stresses and see what we can do in very specific areas to try and discover ocean life before it's lost. Thank you for that. Could you now then tell me a bit about your own background and sort of how you came into this field? You mentioned earlier that you were a journalist originally. Is that right? Yeah, I was a journalist for many years. I started with ABC and Channel 4 and Discovery Channels, Al Jazeera and others. And my role was as an investigative journalist, mainly a broadcast journalist, really trying to discover how the world works and how the world was changing. I was sent on an assignment up to Scotland a few years back to look at a marine protected area. And what I witnessed there was this incredible area, which was protected, which is like a lush jungle underwater. Outside of that, the area had been trawled out for scallop fishing and it was a desert. There was no life there. And it was very visually striking, of course, but um, deeply sad just to witness what was going on. And that then triggered deeper investigations where the conclusion I came to quite quickly was that the ocean is the beating heart of our planet. It makes all life on Earth possible on our planet. It's also the least known part of our planet and the least protected part of our planet. So I decided then that if there was something that I could contribute towards a better future, then I should probably look to the ocean and see what I could do in that area. In response to that, I set up an organization called Necton, and Necton and the Nippon Foundation have come together to establish Ocean Census. But Ocean Census, we're just the founding partners, as I say, Ocean Census, and, and one of our key part of our DNA and how we both work is that it's not about us. It's about creating a network of organizations around the world who can collaborate towards this common purpose. And we're in the position, fortunate position, to be able to catalyze that and to provide some of the initial infrastructure, some of the initial funding for the program in terms of biodiversity research, in terms of those expertise editions and in terms of the storytelling. So my background is as a journalist and I think once a journalist you're always a journalist probably so I kind of bring that storytelling aspect the journalistic ethic behind how we tell our stories and also that non-negotiable approach which I had as an investigative journalist where you know some things are difficult and some things are not going to be welcomed by some people but we shouldn't be afraid of that because of the singular commitment which I made and the singular commitment which we make as Necton, that our client is the ocean. So we work for the ocean. And with that compass and with that clarity, that enables us to maintain our ethic and who we work with, how we work, and what we need to do because we're trying to work on behalf of our client, the ocean. 
Thank you. So now on to the final question: What are the biggest challenges of doing this project, either in terms of where you've come this far or looking ahead? The most important thing that we're doing now is to build the network of partners who are coming together, particularly and starting from the scientific side. So we're calling out to all taxonomists involved in the discovery of ocean life to be a part of this. We're here to work together. We need to understand who's out there, what skills they've got in which taxa, what existing collections they've got, and we've already started that. And we're discovering tens and tens of thousands of specimens that taxonomists have on their shelves or in their collections, but they don't have the resources to actually work up. So we know that going to sea costs us a huge amount to go and find new species, but we also know that there is a huge amount of new species that already discovered but haven't been described. Or we don't know whether they're new or not, and that's the first, most immediate step that we need to make. We need to bring together the alliance of partners to work out how we're going to undertake this challenge, and work together to achieve this mighty ambition, which is to discover a hundred thousand species in the next decade. And we've got obviously we've got a long way to go on that journey. But in terms of our schedule, we've already undertaken the first expedition in partnership with the University of Tromsø、uh, up in the Arctic and, and Rev Ocean. We have other expeditions which we are under the umbrella of Ocean Census, but again with our partners, people that are coming to us saying, "Look, we're going off to Indonesia to the Coral Triangle, for example, or into the Pacific and, and other areas." But we need taxonomists, or we need the support to be able to tell the story in this area, or we need help with the process to be able to accelerate the. The discovery and the description of species, so all those things which we can help on. So we're at the moment we're building the infrastructure that we need, processes that we need as an organisation, as a network of partners, to be able to scale up and undertake this endeavour. And that takes time. We obviously want to do things as fast as we possibly can, but we've got to get these steps right. The approaches to cyber taxonomy are being published by Chief Scientist Science Director Alex Rogers in consultation with dozens of scientists around the world. So that's coming out. That will set out what the parameters are, how we operate cyber taxonomy, so how we use these different technologies to, of imaging, of sequencing, and machine learning to support the discovery of ocean life at speed and scale. And then we're then building a pipeline of expeditions in the years ahead. So right now, yeah, if if people are interested in participating, the key thing that we need of people is to get in touch. Go to the website. You'll see there's a section that says "Get Involved" with different information about how different people get involved. Whether it's scientists, whether it's governments, media, expedition operators, technology partners, whoever you are, citizen scientists, you have a role to play. We need to know that you want to be a part of it, what you can contribute to this global effort, and how we can work together. And our job is to try and knit it together into some wonderful web. Yeah, hopefully, incorporate the world in high-income countries, low-income, and middle-income countries to be able to build that out. Long term, though, the most important thing I think, which is going to underpin all of this, is human capacity. And we know there's a shortage of taxonomists. We know that there are around many are getting old and starting to retire. We know that the majority of biodiversity is often found in low and middle-income countries where there are the least taxonomists. And for people to manage what's in their ocean, they need those skills in those countries. So long term, and that's where the key legacy of, of ocean census needs to be. It's building up that knowledge, those, that technology that's needed in low and middle income countries in particular over the long term, that we can get into a point that we can continue to discover what lives in our ocean, but also to then move into the bio monitoring of what exists there. And we will be able to do that. For example, the our ability to sequence all the animals which are discovered through ocean census and start to build those genetic reference libraries will help underpin eDNA, environmental DNA, as a 
critical tool for conservation. It's being heralded as a fantastic tool for conservation. But the big problem it has at the moment is that we don't have the reference libraries to know what we find. Because with eDNA, as an animal lives in the water, it will leave a little bit of its DNA in the water, which we can then extract. We can find out it's there. But unless you've got a reference library to say, well, that DNA relates to that animal, you don't know what's there. You might have a broad scope and go, oh, it's a fish. But what type of fish? That doesn't really help us. So building up that reference library, which we will be able to do with Ocean Census, will then radically scale and support the advancements of eDNA as a conservation tool. So there are lots of different outcomes which will come from ocean census, both in terms of capacity, technology development, conservation, but also we can look at the advances that we'll make in transforming our knowledge of Earth because the discovery of ocean life will underpin our understanding of fundamental science. Oxygen production, carbon cycling, climate regulation, the regulation of the chemistry on Earth, the evolution of life on Earth, where did it all begin? On and on it goes, fundamental scientific questions, which at the moment are limited by our knowledge of what lives in the sea. We've only discovered like 10%. So what does that other 90% herald for us? And I think all that sort of brings us back to where we started in many ways, which is you know, the challenge of exploration because of exploitation. What could happen if we then go and discover some new great jewel in the ocean? What would then happen to the life that lives there? People start to harvest it. And that's where we need to be mindful. But I think we also need to celebrate the opportunity of what is in front of us, which is that exploration has always driven our progress. If we look back through human history, our ability to push back the frontiers of knowledge has driven progress. And we're now, if we look at the ocean, 90% of ocean life is undiscovered. And what will that new knowledge do to support our progress? And hopefully that progress will be a sustainable progress for all of humankind and all life on Earth. And that's what this opportunity really, I think, represents for humanity. Oliver, thank you so much. That has been really interesting and helped us deepen our understanding of this topic. And thank you for listening. Back to Blue, an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nippon Foundation are hoping to spearhead a coordinated global response to marine pollution and design a roadmap by 2025 to close the marine pollution data gap. To learn more, download our discussions paper, The Zero Pollution Ocean, A Call to Close the Evidence Gap. And also do visit our website at backtoblueinitiative.com.